So we'll be in Hebrews uh, chapter number 4. One of the wonderful things about not doing this so often, uh, because to continually uh, dig for uh, uh, things that are of substance uh, really is an effort and a labor. Um, It really is. Uh, I would love to tell you that uh, every message that I have is just sent down from above, uh, but it's but it's it's not like that. There's times where you go through valleys. There's times where you go through uh, 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 success and trial, and just but the Lord's with you every step of the way. But I might have one message that might be designed for one person in mind, uh, and it just. However it comes, I might preach one message for one person, and I might, you might get application purposes for out of that one message, right? Now, you're not targeting people, but it's just like this is designed. I believe that the message is designed for this person in mind, and so sometimes you may not get anything out of it, um, and maybe sometimes it may not be designed for you. Um, it may be designed for your sister or your brother or somebody that is going through a difficult time in their life. So, um, anyways, as you get older, you, you really learn that you don't have to force feed it. So, uh, we'll be in Hebrews chapter number four, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't really get away from it. Now, uh, I said a minute ago, the blessing of not having to do this all the time is... When a thought comes to my mind, I can just I can just push it aside. I mean, I don't have to I don't have to have something three days a week, so I could let I could set something to the side, and it can uh, I can set something to the side, and then just meditate on it, think about it, write notes about it, study on it, so on and so forth. And uh, and as a result of that, with more more study, more time, more preparation, things like that, uh, it makes it where. It's a lot more beneficial for someone who is not as uh, skilled, if that makes sense. So in Hebrews chapter number 4, I had been reading this over and over. And if you just started at verse 1, you really, really wouldn't uh, get the, the grasp of what the writer is saying. Because I had read the book of Hebrews several times, but when you just start at verse number 4 and then don't begin at verse 3, you read it and you wonder, well, who is he talking about? Now, I know he's talking to the Hebrews, but he makes specific reference and connection to the group of people that he's talking to. And he talks about how we have, we as the people of God have rest. And, uh, and for those who have not entered into that rest, he says, let us labor that we may enter into that rest. So he makes reference to people who have obtained rest, and then he makes reference to people who have yet to obtain rest. And uh, within the chapter, he makes mention of how David didn't rest, and that's just because Christ had not came yet and offered that, um, that, red, that, that the rest that we have now in that day. That's why whenever you see in verse number... Seven. It talks about David after so long time, as it is said. I'm sorry. In, in verse number eight, it, this isn't really the text, but I'm just giving you a little bit of context, if I, if you will. So in verse number eight, so it says, "For if Jesus had given them rest, that's the Old Testament saints, then he would not have afterward have spoken of another day." So all the writer of Hebrews is saying there is that he's just communicating that David did not have available to him that day that you and I have for us in our day. Uh, because if it was available, he's saying David wouldn't have said that right there, okay? 
So, but <clears throat> I, kept, I kept reading Hebrews chapter number four, and then something began to really just kind of work in my mind. And that is in, the thought really is found in uh, verse number 14. My thought of exhortation tonight is found in number 14, where it talks about Jesus Christ being a great high priest. So we're going to read verses 14 through 16, uh, and then I'll have a brief word of exhortation, and we're going to be talking about Jesus, our great high priest, uh, this evening. So in verse number 14 of Hebrews 4, Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace uh, to help uh, in, in a time of need. And so whenever I began to read about this and then think about it, I went back to Leviticus and I began to study about that high priest. And then whenever I studied about that high priest and then I went over and then began to read more uh, in the book of Hebrews. And when you first get saved, when you first get saved, you make it to about Exodus chapter 20. And then you, you start at Genesis, you make it to Exodus 20, and then it gets, it gets uh, the perception of it, though it's not, but the perception of it from Exodus 20 to Deuteronomy 1, you know, and there's a couple spots in numbers, but when you first become a Christian, you're not, you're not passing through Leviticus and Exodus and, and, and just really grasping the full meaning of it, and so you're most likely as a believer, you're starting in Genesis, you're getting to Exodus 20, and then you're skipping and going into Deuteronomy where they start conquering and, and, and going in the land. I don't know if that was, that's for you, but that's how it is for me whenever I first uh, got saved. But then whenever you take some time, then you actually go back and you read Leviticus and you find all of the, um, the beautiful pictures and types, how that all of the priesthood and the sacrifices and the tabernacle and the temple and, and all of the, the, the worship ceremonies of the Old Testament, how in every point in the Scriptures it always points to Jesus Christ. It always points to our great high priest. And so whenever you see here in Hebrews chapter number 14 when it talks about Jesus Christ, our great high priest, the writer thereof is exhorting the people that we're to hold fast our profession of faith. In uh, the prof- a, pos- a profession of faith uh, doesn't might not necessarily always mean a possession. Um, it, there are people that uh, profess, but they actually do not internally possess the regenerating work of God that that only God can do within the inward heart of man. And so, though one may uh, though one may profess Christ, he may not possess Christ. If I could say it that way. And when you actually read in Hebrews, I firmly believe that the writer is communicating to people that, that may not have uh, the same thing as the person that's next to them. Does that make sense? Because when you read in Hebrews and it talks about, you've got to hold fast your profession of faith. Let a, there are some that have entered into rest. There are some that have not entered into rest. And it talks about if... Uh, uh, that it's impossible for those that are, were once enlightened if they shall fall away. And so the writer is, is these things, these reoccurring themes that I'm seeing in the book of Hebrews, and, I, 
whenever I read it, it's almost like he's writing a letter to some people that may be around uh, that may be around uh, possessors, but though they may, they may only be for professors. Does that does that make sense? What I'm saying? If you really if you go back and read Hebrews and read it real close and read how the the writer is communicating uh, to these people. And you read there, and he really kind of he kind of is exhorting them there because there were some of them that were still holding on to Old Testament sacrificial systems. And so he reiterates how Christ is a sacrifice, and not only that, but you know, he's a sacrifice, but he's the great high priest. And so in verse number 15, it makes reference to him that we have not a high priest which cannot be touched after the feeling of our infirmities but was in all points tempted like as we are. So he was tempted like as we are, but yet without sin. And so what makes Jesus Christ a great high priest is that he's a high priest with, without sin. And that's, that's one of the ways that we're able to hold fast our profession of faith because we, have, we can come boldly to the throne of grace because there's a high priest that is able to feel what it feels like to be tempted, what it feels like to be uh, pressed out of measure, what it feels like to go through the same things in life that you and I go through, uh, the difficulties of life, uh, hunger, thirst. I mean, he was a man just like, just like uh, uh, you and I. He was a human being. And that's why he would make reference to himself as the Son of Man. But... He says right here, he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And so what makes Jesus Christ so unique as being our great high priest is that he was sinless. And that's why the doctrine of the virgin birth is so important, not because Mary was just this super clean vessel uh, that was unlike any other person, though that was true, but that's kind of the way the world frames it, but... What makes Jesus Christ unique and not, not possess any sinful characteristics is because he, his father wasn't Joseph. Now, if Jesus' father was Joseph, that would make Jesus uh, uh, not, not pure. But the, one of the, 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 the reason why Jesus is pure is because God was his father. And as a result of who our father is in, uh, uh, in Adam, that's what makes us corrupt sinners is because our father was Adam. But Jesus... His father was God. And when you read in Genesis chapter number 3, I'm not going to go into like biology or anything like that by any means, but when you read that, um, who's the only woman that ever had a seed? Eve. Eve's the only woman that ever had a seed. Uh, uh, and so the man possesses the seed. I'm not going to get into it, but when you, you know, and we could, you can read it, but I'm just telling you, just uh, Eve was unlike any other woman. Or not Eve, but Mary was unlike any other woman. She was special. She was a chosen vessel of God, so on and so forth. But we're not kind of getting into that. But long story short, what makes Jesus unique is that his father, his, his genealogy is not tainted by man. And so it says that uh, it was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without, yet without sin. And so he was, if you remember in Matthew chapter number 4, that Jesus was tempted in several areas of his life. And... Uh, First thing, he was tempted whenever uh, Satan went to him in a time of weakness. So he had been fasting for 40 days, and uh, he had been preparing for his ministry in life, and uh, he had been preparing for uh, uh, the service and uh, the, the journey that he was going to embark on. And so he was in intense fasting and prayer. And, and then so, so Satan comes to him at a moment of weakness. 
Uh, not, that, not that Christ wasn't able to withstand the temptation, but just as a man, he was weak. I mean, if you go, uh, if you go three or four days without eating, your body t- starts to become weak. And so he went 40 days without eating. And as a result of uh, his preparation for his earthly ministry, Satan comes to tempt him at a time of weakness. He tempts him with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And as Jesus, being a man, was hungry, Satan goes to him and he says, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. And Jesus, of course, you, you understand the story. You're well familiar with it. He said, um, it is, not, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And he resists the temptation of the devil. And then in other areas in life, uh, he's tempted with the pride of life where Satan quotes scripture out of context to him and tries to get him to jump off the cliff. And that's mentioned in Psalms and, and we can go there. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. But he was also tempted in other areas of life whenever they were going to come to him and make him a king. I mean, he, though he possessed all things in life, I mean, he, he owned everything. I mean, he owned, he owned, he didn't have to worry about overthrowing the Romans because he was the person that, that instituted the Roman government. And uh, so what I'm saying is, is Christ was tempted in several areas of his life, but we kind of just see in Matthew 4 kind of centers it in. And that's just, Matthew 4 shows two things. It shows Christ withstanding the devil, and then it also shows Adam's weakness and Adam's failure as a man because Adam was tempted. And so there's several things that it shows, but ultimately that's the message that it's really conveying. And, and so, and I know you can pull a lot of application truths out of it, but Anyways, long story short, so he's a high priest with no sin. The high priest that was instituted uh, in the law in uh, the tribe of Levi, he had sin. And so on the Day of Atonement, when in uh, Leviticus chapter number 16, that high priest, first what he had to do was he had to make an atonement for himself and for his sins and for his house before he made an atonement for the sins of the people. Now, the reason why... Uh, Jesus is such a great is a great high priest, and far so much exceeds that, is because when he made a sacrifice, he wasn't sacrificing for his sins; he was sacrificing for for our sins. Uh, in First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, chapter number five, verse number twenty one, it says, "For he hath that is God, for he hath made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him that is in Christ." And so, as a result of being in Christ, we're able to be righteous, but. Christ had to be a sinless, perfect sacrifice in order for that to be so. And so that high priest in the tribe of Levi was a sinful man. And when you read in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how that those sacrifices could never make the comer thereunto perfect as pertaining to the conscience. And so what that means is, is there is that high priest continually had to offer those things, but his conscience wasn't free from the guiltiness of sin. I mean, when he would sin, he would have a guilty conscience. Now, you and I, we're, we're cleansed by the blood of Christ, and, and yes, when we sin and offend God, we're chastened for it as children of God, but, but when, when we commit sins, and then it, time passes, but it wasn't like that for them. I mean, there was a continual remembrance of sins. But see, our conscience, our conscience is, we have so much, so much, so much in the new covenant that they didn't have. And so we have a sacrifice that, makes the comers thereunto perfect, if I can say it that way. And so 
But uh, whenever I was, so he's a high priest with no sin. But uh, not only that, he is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So if you look in uh, chapter number five, look at, um, let's just uh, begin reading in verse number one of chapter five. It says, For every high priest taken from among men is ordained for men and things pertaining to God, that he may, may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Who can have compassion on the ignorant and them that are out of the way, for that he himself is also compassed with infirmity? Now, now you've got to be careful because whenever you, whenever you begin to read in here, it, he's talking about, the, in, the ver, in verses 1 through 4, he's talking about uh, the Levitical high priest, but then he shifts and then begins to focus on Christ. And so it says, By reason hereof he ought as for himself, so also for himself to offer for sin. So he's talking about how the high priest had to offer for himself and then for others in that verse. And that's what I just said a minute ago. But then he shifts and he goes to Christ and he says, So Christ also glorified not himself to be a priest, but said unto him, But he that said unto him, Thou art my son this day, have I begotten thee. As he said another in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now we'll go and read verse number 10 in a minute, but what, why that carries such significance as, as it pertains to Jesus Christ being our great high priest, because the doctrine of eternal security is, is centered around Christ being a, a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, why is that so? Because eternal security is, 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 is a fundamental doctrine of the faith, and you, just, you believe it, you're eternally secure in Christ. But when you begin to really analyze it, you begin to look, why am I eternally secure in Christ? Why am I, uh, why am, why am I saved and when I transgress? Why am I not lost when I transgress? And the reason why the free wills and, uh, uh, and the holiness and all these people, the reason why they believe falling from grace is because essentially they don't understand, number one, they're probably not born again, but they don't understand that Jesus Christ is a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the reason why you stay saved is because he's a priest not made after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. And so the Old Testament saints uh, in the tribe of Levi, whenever the high priest would die... It says in the scripture that he's not able to continue by reason of death. And so as a result of him not being able to continue by reason of death, every year they had to get a new high priest. And so what makes Jesus Christ such a great high priest is he's made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but but by the power of an endless life. And so the reason why we're eternally secure in Christ forever and ever and ever is because he's made after the order. He's, He's a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So he's never going to die. And so you're going to stay saved as long as Jesus lives. And so if I could, um, I don't want to make it too complex, but if you just study Jesus Christ being a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, that's, that's eternal security. I mean, at its, like, at its finest when you go and read about his, his high priest and, and why it's so. Because he's going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's why you're, he's able to give you everlasting life is because He's, he, he, he's, uh, uh, he's able to give everlasting life, not just because he's God, but from a doctrinal perspective, because he ha- eternity is his to give. And in his priestly work, when he offered himself up, he offered himself up without spot to God. And so when you read in the book of Hebrews and it begins to talk about those sacrifices, and I, I made mention about how it couldn't make the comers there and too perfect, but it talked about the cardinal ordinances and... 
if the blood of bulls and goats and heifers, and it could sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. But it talks about Christ who offered himself through the eternal spirit, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And as a result of Christ offering that eternal sacrifice and being a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, that's why you stay saved. Eternal security is made possible because not only does Jesus Christ God, but he's your great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And you just believe it and you go in there and read it, and I promise you it's so. And so when you read that, and God had always had that in mind, when you read in Psalms, David, David would write that in the Psalms, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he said that in Psalms, and then he says it in Hebrews twice. And so, so God, the, Jesus Christ being a high priest was always in the mind of God, but it couldn't happen while he was on this earth because he was a part of the tribe of Judah. And when you read in there in Hebrews, it talks about of the tribe of Judah, of no thing spake the law, but the necessity of the, uh, the necessity of, it talked about the necessity of a change, there must also be a change of the law. And uh, and so as a result of God instituting that change, then Jesus Christ becomes the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises, so on and so forth. So he's a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And, um, and so not only that, not that, that's what makes him a great high priest, but not only that, he's a high priest uh, of the tabernacle not made with hands. And so if you go in there and you read... Um, where is that? Let's go to chapter number 9. And you could, I mean, you could really exhaust this for, for years. But, uh, but uh, I'm just kind of, you know, kind of scratching the surface of it. And um, I, hope I, didn't, I hope I didn't say some things that are too foreign. Um, but Hebrews, so Hebrews chapter number 9, verse 11. So it talks about, where I said how Jesus Christ, he's a high, our great high priest, he's a high priest of the tabernacle not made with hands. Uh, and now let's back up, because this really does carry significance. So in chapter number 9, he makes, he makes a comparison of the old covenant and then talks about Christ in verse number 11. So the word but is really essentially a summary of verses 1 through 10. So he says in verse 1 of chapter 9, let's just start there, Then verily the first covenant, which also had ordinances of a divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein it was the candlestick, the table, and the shoe bread, which is called the sanctuary. After that, after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer, the ark, the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And over it the cherubim's uh, glory overshadowing the mercy seat, of which now we cannot speak particularly. Now, verse number, verse number 6 I want to get to. Now, he's talking about now. These things were thus ordained that the priests went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. And so that's the high priest in Leviticus, Leviticus chapter number 16. And the writer here is saying that. Now they knew that, but he's just he's, he's emphasizing this. He's exhorting them, if I can say that. Not that they didn't know it, but he's just exhorting them uh, in the writing here. Uh, but the Holy Ghost thus signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. Now this is while the tabernacle was standing. It's the Holy Ghost is signifying, saying, uh, we're doing it, and just, if I could just summarize it this way, this is the way we're doing it for now. Uh, and when Jesus comes, all this is going to change. That's Essentially, that's all he's saying. 
Now, in verse number 9, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could, right here, I said that a minute ago, that's funny, I didn't know it was in this chapter, but that could not make him that did the, fir- the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. And so he's talking about that high priest that when he made those offerings, it, it didn't, he wasn't perfected. That's all that that is. And so, which only stood meat and drink and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. Reformation is a good word. And so uh, that's just until Christ comes. So in verse number 11, it says, But Christ being come as an high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle right here, not made with hands, that is to say, of this building. And uh, so then it just, I've already kind of belabored, uh, belabored that. I don't want to sound uh, too redundant, but if you go read the next few verses, it talks about he compares the sacrifice of bloods of bulls and goats and animals and then Christ. Uh, and you can go through and read that, but there's no reason for me to repeat that. So anyways, then it talks about how Jesus is the mediator of, of the New Testament. And that, is a, that a testator is, is not a force while the testator liveth. And so, uh, but I'm trying to find... I'm trying to find, skip down to verse number 24. There it is. Sorry about that. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hand, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. And so he's a high priest. He's our great high priest. And he, uh, uh, he's the priest of the tabernacle made without hands. And so he's not limited to the holy place that's on earth, which was just a figure for the time then present. But now he appears in the very presence of God for us. If you remember in John chapter number John chapter number twenty, it, uh, Jesus after he resurrected, he sees Mary, and Mary says says Rabboni, and she goes to touch him, and he says, "Mary, touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father." And so when Jesus is talking about ascending to the Father, uh, and again, the Bible doesn't say, but I firmly believe that when Jesus resurrected and then ascended unto God is when this took place. I believe that's whenever Jesus appeared into the presence of God. And, um, you know, men can draw conclusions, but I believe that's when that took place and that offering uh, took place. The Bible doesn't say that, but, but you, you really can draw some really strong conclusions because he resurrected, he, he wasn't up there yet. And he says, Mary, don't touch me because I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't offered myself to God yet, okay? So, Long story short, Jesus goes up there and he offers himself uh, uh, as an offering on this earth and then goes into heaven and then this is where this stuff takes place. And so now he appears in the presence of God for us. And uh, I was talking to a friend of mine about Old Testament saints and he was asking if, if Old Testament saints were, were eternally secure like you and I are. And what I was... I was, I was foolish jesting with him, and I said, well, what, what would happen if they wouldn't circumcise their kid? And he said, I don't know. I said, well, their soul would be cut off. I mean, the, their, the God says, if you don't do this, your soul's cut off. And so they had to do those things. And so, but see, you and I, Jesus Christ, we don't have to, we don't have to go offer the blood of bulls and goats uh, for our redemption because Jesus was the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And as a result of his offering, you and I are, are we're sanctified in Christ, we're regenerated, we're sanctified, all of those Bible terms uh, in Christ, as a result of being in Christ and us and our connection to him, we possess the promises that those people did not have 
uh, in that day. And so if you would uh, turn over, turn over to, no, you don't have to turn over. Uh, turn to Hebrews 10, 13. Hebrews 10, 13. So, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrew, yeah, chapter 10, but, but um, let's look at verse number, well, let's just back up a little bit. Chapter 10, well, let me explain it, and then we'll read, we'll begin reading at verse 9, okay? So, all he's doing is just making that um, connection between the, the law and, 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 and the the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And he's making that connection, and then he's saying, okay, the law says this, but then uh, Christ is described in this way. So it talks about how uh, in verse 6, and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book. It is written to, uh, of me to do thy will, O God. That was written in Psalms, and so that's just... That's just, uh, uh, that's just uh, the writer is conveying to those people in that day who were still offering sacrifices that this has been here all along, you've just never seen it, okay? That's, that's what the writer here is saying. He's saying that uh, uh, because David wrote this in the Psalms about burnt offerings and sacrifices and sin offerings, uh, and it was like that in Jesus' day. I mean, they didn't, they didn't know. I mean, they didn't know in Jesus' day. They didn't, I mean, they... He was sitting there right in front of him, and he's sitting there preaching to him, and they just he, he said, "Oh fools and slow of a heart." So it's not you know, but but it takes the Lord's illumination. I mean, the Lord's got to illuminate, and so the writer there is conveying the message to them that this has already been in the Psalms, okay? And he's just reiterating that this is what the psalmist was talking about in that day. So that's it's not not very complicated or complex, but he's just talking about those sacrificial systems. And so then we get to verse number nine, and he says. Uh, then I said, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. All that is is just talking about how the old covenant has passed away and then how the new covenant is being brought in. Now, I want to stop and I'll say this because there's a lot of, and I did it whenever I was first a Christian, but I equated God's holy, righteous law with the law of sin and death. And so if you read in Romans chapter number 8 when it talks about... Uh, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. And so when Paul is talking about the law of sin and death in there, he's not talking about the holy law of God. He's talking about why our bodies decay. And so the law of sin and death is, is why we decay and why we slowly perish from this life. The law of sin and death is not the holy law of God. The law is just, good, and holy. And the problem uh, is not with the law. The problem... There's no problem with the law. The problem is the sinner's inability to keep the just demands that God requires of him. And uh, that's why we have uh, the imputed righteousness of Christ is because he lived the sinless perfect life according to the law. And as a result of his obedience to that law, dying under the penalty of that law, uh, that's how we get imputed righteousness. And so you're, you have imputed righteousness because Christ fulfilled the just demands of the law. Uh, I promise you that's the truth. You just you go in there and read it. So the law is good, but it's just the sinner's inability to keep that which is good is as a result of why God instituted this. Now, it was in the mind of God, but just... Anyway, so right here in verse number 13, or I'm sorry, in verse number 11, And every high priest standeth daily ministering. So that's talking about when they were offering the burnt sacrifices, when they were offering the heave offerings, and then the wave offerings, and... 
they were offering, uh, the trespass offerings, and all those offerings, it was just a continual thing. Uh, and that's the reason why Levi received the tithe, is because that was Levi's job. Levi's job was to do that. So that's the reason why Levi had to be compensated for it, because that, that was his job to do that, in that tax right there. And so because it was continual, they, every priest standed continually daily ministering, offering sometimes the same sacrifices, but which could never take away sin. But right here in verse number 12, it says, But though, but this man, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. And so uh, I believe that's when Jesus resurrected and uh, uh, when Jesus resurrected and uh, offered for once to sacrifice for sins. And so you can really spend a lot of time uh, in Hebrews. You can spend a lot of time uh, in Leviticus. And then if you go back and you read it, I mean, it really is. It's really enlightening when you go back and you read Leviticus. Uh, I personally, I enjoy reading Leviticus and Numbers, and I really enjoy it. But when you read about Christ and you read about how we're, how we're really secure in Him and the blessings of being secure in Christ, and you see what they had, and then you compare it to what we have, and then from your perspective as a Christian today, we would never even wonder why, I mean, why in the world would the Hebrews do that? But I mean, but that's, that what, they, that's what they were taught for, for 2,000 years. I mean, they were taught that for 2,000 years. You circumcise your kids, you trespass offering, you bring all this, uh, don't do this, do that, don't do this. I mean, and that was good for the time, <laughs> but uh, but Jesus came and um, and so now that's just not the way that's just not how things operate if I can summarize it that way so uh, but Jesus Christ our great high priest uh, and you could spend hours uh, talking about it um, and you can I mean the study is really amazing but it was just those were the things that I really looked in Hebrews and uh, looked in Hebrews and really kind of dug out of it but you can spend a lot of time in there Anyways, uh, I hope that was a blessing for you.